chapter 22 and verse 31. I'm going to read one verse and then we're going to take off from there. But Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, it says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. I really don't know what I want to preach or what I want the title to be. I know what I'm going to preach, so they can make up a title there. But I want to just kind of launch from here. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. Could we pray right now that the word of God would speak to your hearts? Jesus, we know your word is, is already alive. It's already powerful. It doesn't need anything from us in order for it to be true or for it to do the work. But it does need us to receive it. And so once again, we come into your presence and we ask that you would allow us to receive in our mind, our hearts, and our spirit, and our soul what you have to say. God, let it fall on ears that are not deaf, but let it fall on ears that are ready to hear. I pray, God, it fall not on people that don't want to do anything about the word, but those that pull the word into them and they allow it to germinate and grow. And we're asking this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Sifting. I know I've preached on this verse before, but I'm reminded to come back to it. Sifting. It's what your grandma did. Maybe your mother has done. They get that little sifter. They put powdered sugar in it or they put flour in it and they kind of shake it out and it separates the clumps from the fine part. It's a sifter. It's, I've seen my grandmother take a, a fine mesh colander when she didn't have the one I'm thinking of in my mind. I don't know how far back some of you go, but the one I'm thinking of was a little aluminum cylinder and it had a handle. And in that handle it had a, a trigger mechanism. And as they would squeeze that trigger, it would agitate inside and sift out the powdered sugar. But I, I've seen Momo, when she didn't have that, I've seen her put it in a very fat mine. Let me speak English, that would help. A very fine mesh colander and bump it with her hand and sift out that flour. There is something sifting is to shake or to agitate by some outward or inward force. Agitator. They don't make them like they used to. I said that this morning, and it is a very real thing, uh, Brother Lee, to have plantar fasciitis. It really does hurt. May you never get it. You just wait. <clears throat> but when I was alive, they made washers different. They had an agitator in the middle. Now they make washers that doesn't use any water and they don't do any agitating. And I don't really know how they clean the clothes, but whatever. I kind of like the old washer. It had that thing in the middle that would shake and it would agitate the, the clothing. There's something about it. I, In my myriad of hobbies, I, I've got polishers and tumblers where you put sand or you put different types of media inside and you can put something that you want to polish. A lot of guys that reload their own shells use them and you put the brass cases in there and you turn it on and it shakes and the sifting and the shaking of the, the media that's inside. It can be sometimes it's ground walnut shells, sometimes it's little beads of glass or little uh, beads of metal and it will shift and it will agitate and it can polish and it can clean but I've also seen agitation used not to clean something or polish something but I've seen agitation used to wear something down I don't know if you've ever seen it but they have interesting ways that they test. Uh, there's a new phone coming out. I can't remember which one it is. It may be one of the new Google phones. I'm not for sure, but it, it's a foldable phone. 
and so you you can open it up and then the screen becomes twice as big and it's supposed to be the, the latest and best thing and of course Google's going to make the latest and best thing and they're going to show Apple up it's going to be awesome but uh, they <laughs> they bring this phone out well they just had a, a technology show uh, here where they introduced the phone and one of the things that somebody did is they took the phone and they invented or they, they made a machine that's, that, that will open and close the phone and it will do that very fast and it will do it at the right, you know, not real hard, not real violent, but basically the exact way that a human would open a phone and they realized that in doing so that phone lasted 20,000 open and closings before it broke. Then they began to do the math and they realized that that is about three years of normal use and that's about how long the phone will last. Now, whoever's making the phone said it would last five years, but somebody invented a machine that would shake it or agitate it. I've seen them do this with, um, uh, uh, brother, brother Lowe has told us about when they, when they do airplane wings, they'll do tests where they can bend the wings of an airplane much farther than you think a wing could be bent to see how it will handle. I've watched them put cars on a, uh, a certain machine and it will bounce the tires to simulate driving and that agitating, that shaking will wear the shocks and it will wear the struts and they can figure out how long it takes before the shaking breaks something. I'm convinced in my life I'm convinced as I look at the lives of those that are in this place that many of you feel a little agitation going on in your life. It's the shaking that the enemy does and it's the shaking that the devil does in our life. He loves to shake us. And so if I could go back to Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, I would insert your name instead of Simon. I could insert your uh, uh, family instead of Simon. And I could use you and I could say, Satan desires to have you. And he desires to shake you. The devil knows exactly what it takes. He has figured out perhaps in his own mind how long he can shake you until he breaks you. It's the shaking of the enemy in your life. It's the shaking of the enemy in your health. It's the shaking of the enemy in your family, your children, your job, whatever it may be. The devil desires to shake and to agitate you. I'm either hitting it right on the head or I've lost you somewhere. Help me, help me out. Is there anybody here that's ever felt the devil shake your life? All right, so I'm in the right spot. That helps me out a little bit. Can I give you a bit of advice that's free and not at all connected to where I'm wanting to go in this message? Are you ready? The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So listen to me very quickly. You are wrestling. That is true. Okay? I cannot get away. I can't gloss over. I can't make, a, you know, and, and, and pretend it doesn't happen. The Bible says you wrestle. Look at your neighbor and say we wrestle. That's going to happen. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be something shaking. Something's going to grab you and try to turn you around. Somebody's going to try to put a headlock on it. But finish that scripture. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen to me, somebody, right now. Even when the wrestle is there, even when the wrestling seems to be with people, would you help your mind see you're not wrestling with your neighbor, you're not wrestling with your spouse, you're not wrestling with your children, you're not wrestling with people. You need to be 
more angry at the devil that comes in to shake your life than the person that it seems the shaking is coming from. Let me say it again. When things are happening and there is shaking going on in your life, don't look at the one that's shaking you, the one you can see. Be more angry at the enemy that says, I want to shake you until you break. Simon, Simon, the Lord, or rather Simon, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. In fact, as I begin to study, there is a vast majority of commentators and those ancient authorities that begin to look at the Word of God that omit the first couple of words and the Lord said they seems that it was maybe put later to kind of help the flow. That it, it seems so abrupt when you look at the whole of Luke chapter 22 that, that it was just an instant, just kind of turning around and, hey, Simon, Satan desires to have you. In fact, the more accurate translation would probably be that Satan obtained you by asking that he. Another said that he wasn't content with just getting a hold of Judas and shaking Judas, but now he wants to come and he wants to get you, Peter. And it reveals something that happens perhaps in the unseen world that we don't think about too much. A similar request was made by the same bitter enemy, the powerful enemy in the case of Job chapter 1 and verse 12. And perhaps we can take this understanding of something that happened in Job's life in the Old Testament and take what Jesus said in the New and realize that it happens way more often than we would like to think about when the Bible says in Job chapter 1 that there came a day when the sons of God, these are the fallen angels, these are, are angels and perhaps even not fallen, the sons of God means angels, they came to present themselves before the Lord and somehow Satan fallen out of heaven still has an audience with God. The angels come. The Lord says to Satan, where do you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, I come from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, and I cannot for the life of me figure out why the Lord said this, except that he's sovereign. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. He's perfect. He's upright. One that fears God and eschews evil. And Satan said, uh-huh, I thought about him. But he fears God for naught. You've put a hedge around him. You've blessed him every time he turns around. Something good happens. His house is blessed. His family's blessed. You've blessed the work of his hands. He's the richest man in the world. And so why don't you, Lord, take your hand away and see if Job is serving? Satan said, let me shake him up a little. He serves you while everything is good. He serves you while his flocks outnumber every other flock in the world. He serves you because everything's going right. But God, give me a chance to shake him and he will let go of his love and fear of you. And the Lord said, well, here, why don't you do it? Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, but upon himself don't put forth your hand. And Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And you know the, what happened. Job lost everything in one day. Satan wasn't content with just being able to touch what was connected to Job. He comes back into the presence of the Lord and he says, you know, if you'll let me affect him. And, and God said, well, you can do anything but kill him. So now Job's health is being shaken. There seems to be an understanding. But Satan asks permission of the Lord 
that I might test, that I might try those that follow you. He had already, the Bible said, had already entered into Judas. He had already tempted Judas and he had won. Judas was shaken and he was shaken so strongly he never recovered and he ended his life on a cliff falling down and busting open and Satan had won and perhaps it was that ease of, of, of shaking in the fall of Judas that emboldened Satan to then ask what about Peter can you imagine Satan arguing arguing before the eternal God that hey these, these, these chosen ones that you love so much and you called them out and you've appointed them to work in the future and you, you're going to make a church you say by them let me try to lure them away let me try to shake them I promise you God if you'll let me shake them they'll fall look how easy Judas fell it appears in both the instances of Job and of Peter that Jesus allows the shaking and Jesus allows the agitation and both Peter, both Job were shaken to the core by the enemy but there is a hope that comes in the midst of a shaking there is a hope that comes in the middle of a storm because the very next verse after he says Satan desires to have you he desires to shake and agitate you but Luke twenty two thirty two. but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not not and when you are converted strengthen thy brethren I don't think you quite understand the importance of that word I don't think you understand how deep that means I have prayed for you Satan's desire may have been allowed Satan's desire to shake may have been given permission but Jesus says that I will pray for you can I just help you out for a minute? Peter wasn't the only one that was shaken. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas comes and plants that kiss on Jesus' face, every disciple was shaken and every disciple disappeared. There was only one that followed through the whole trial and crucifixion and that was John, the beloved. Peter, though it was, if you will, fell more disastrously by his shaking I read something in my Bible uh, it was either this morning or yesterday in my daily reading I, I, I guess I'd never caught it brother Peter but I, I saw where, where Jesus had told uh, uh, Peter you're, when the cock crows three times you'll deny me and I never caught it it's in Luke that, that when the cock crowed three times Luke according to the English Standard Version I have Jesus looked at Peter that's how close Peter was to Jesus when he started cussing and denying and Jesus looks at him and, and Peter knew I've been shaken and I've fallen but the case is is Jesus perhaps maybe the only thing that saved Peter from going and hanging himself much like Judas was the words ringing in his ear but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not the fall was not hopeless despair as it was in the case of Judas but rather it was remorse it was a, a, a brave repentance if you will 
that Peter began to pray and he said, Lord, I don't feel like I'm going to get out of this. I don't feel like my faith is very strong. I don't feel like I have done anything good. Lord, I just cursed and cussed you three times and now it's all over. Lord, I don't think it, but if at all that prayer was true, that my faith fail not, you're going to have to help my unbelief right now because I don't feel very faithful at the moment. The word converted should not be understood in the technical sense. It does not mean that he was saved the way we think of converted. It really would be better translated like this. And when you have turned back to God, strengthen your brethren. It means, Peter, there will come a day, if you'll let me, there'll come a day where the sun will shine again. There'll come a day when the morning will break again. And you're going to understand that through the darkest trial of your life, through the shaking and the agitation that the enemy has given, uh, Peter, it's going to be okay. And if you'll just turn back to me, there'll be a moment you can look at your brothers and you can give them hope that, hey, even if Satan is pursuing the agitation, God is praying for you it's a grave thought it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that Satan is actively pursuing the shaking of you and I that he's actively pursuing what can I do in their lives so that they fall what can I do in their lives to mess them up how can I shake their faith how can I shake their world how can I shake their salvation to think that it's hard to bear, but those thoughts and to begin to realize how he works ought to lend a pretty important intensity to the words in the prayer where we ask, we say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is a prayer that you and I can pray every day of our lives. Lord, if you're going to pray for us, pray for me that I fail not when I am being shaken. Deliver me from the power of the enemy. I'm telling you today, you can stand unmoved in the presence of that shaking. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26 when it says that God spoke from Mount Sinai and his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise that once again I will not shake only the earth but the heavens also which means all of creation will be shaken and will be removed so that only unshakable things will remain. But you are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. I could go a whole nother direction and tell you everything that God's going to shake. I could tell you about eternity where God shakes eternity. But I want to talk to you about not being shaken for the moment. It's Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. It's the wise man that built his house upon the rock and the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. But it said the one that built his house upon the rock when the flows, when, when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house, it could not shake the house because it was founded on a rock. 
Let me preach to you for a moment and tell you that there are several things. There's four things that cannot be shaken. Number one, the throne of God cannot be shaken. Psalms chapter 45 and verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Lamentations 519 says, Lord, you reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. His throne will not be shaken. The throne represents the kingship of God. It's his rule, and his rule lasts forever. And so let me help you out. There will not be a coup in heaven. There will not be something that overthrows the kingdom of heaven. God is on the throne. He was on the throne first. He's on the throne right now. And when time ends, he'll still be on the throne. You can throw anything you want, devil, at him, but his throne cannot be shaken. The throne not only represents the kingship of God, but it represents God Himself. Hebrews 10, or, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 1, chapter, verse 10 says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, a garment that will be changed, but you remain the same. Your ear, your years will never end. God never changes. God can't be shaken because his throne is eternal. That throne represents the judgment of God and the grace of God. And I'm here today to tell you as much as I'm thankful that the grace of God cannot be shaken. There is not a sin too big. There's not a sin so dark and deep and horrible that the grace of God can't be there present for you. It can't be shaken, but you better remember the judgment of God changes not as well. What God judges at the beginning, God will still judge at the end. He said, I am God. There is no shadow of turning with me. He's not going to change the rules. One day you and I are going to stand before the judgment throne of God and you will either be saddened to remember that his judgment is unshakable or you will stand there saying his grace was unshakable. The throne can't be shaken. The word of God can't be shaken. Mark chapter 13 and verse 31 quotes Jesus and it says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. First Peter tells us that the word of God stands forever and so I'm here today to tell you the power of the word cannot be shaken. The promises of the word cannot be shaken. The prophecies of the word cannot be shaken. If he read it, if he said it in this book, you need to hold tight to it. It will not be shaken no matter what comes your way. And the church of God cannot be shaken. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, I understand there's a visible church, if you will. There's the lighthouse, which is a church. And, and we're part of the church of the living God. And I have seen churches be shaken. I have seen organizations be shaken. I understand there are churches that can't, that something happens and they close their doors. I get that. But we're not talking about what we see, the visible church building. We're talking about what we're told at the end of Ephesians chapter 1 about the true church that God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, him who fills everything in every way. The church of the living God cannot and will not be shaken. There is no devil in hell. There is no 
uh, government that could come. There's no rule that can pass. It can throw anything it wants to throw at him. And the church is secure. And the church is going to remain. And the church will abide. It was not something created. We were birthed from God himself. We belong to the church. And if you're a part of that church, then you need to understand it can't be shaken. And the last one, which is a little bit harder for you and I to catch, is the church, or rather the child of God, cannot be shaken. You say, well, pastor, haven't you just been talking about the shaking that goes on? Uh-huh. But watch this. Jesus has pledged to keep his children secure until they're safely at home in glory with him. Do you understand? Do you realize that by the virtues of your salvation that you were created to be with him and the Holy Ghost is in you? We preached about that this morning, that the divine is with you. You are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. And 1 John 2, 17 says, the world and its desires may pass away, but the one, the man, the person who does the will of God lives forever. John 10, 28 says, I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Paul says, and I'll come back to it here in a moment. Paul said, I'm convinced life or death or angels or demons or presence or future or powers nor height nor depth, anything else can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I help somebody for just a moment? Regardless of the shaking, regardless of the agitation, you have to understand that Christ is your strength and he can't be shaken and if you're held in the hand of the one who cannot be shaken, then you need to know when all of the shaking has ceased, you shall remain. I've seen pictures. It, it, it just kind of blows my mind. I've seen pictures of, of earthquakes that have, you know, the, the, the remnants of an earthquake. You'll see all these buildings that have fallen and it sustained damage, and there's always one building that somehow doesn't. I've seen hurt, uh, tornadoes come through, and everything around it's destroyed, and there's one that remains. I've seen hurricanes come in, and something still stands. The reason is, when you are strongly secured to the right foundation, it may shake around you. The wind may howl. You may lose a shingle here or there, but you have to understand, I'm still standing. And so I believe that it's time for us to shake back preached about Acts uh, chapter 2 but let me take you to Acts chapter 4 tonight and when they had prayed the place was shaken there's something about those prayers that allows you and I to turn the tables and begin to shake back it's Acts chapter 16 and verse 26 when they were there Paul and Silas down in the prison and at midnight they began to sing praises and the Bible said suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and the doors were open I've preached about that I've probably preached about Act Paul and Silas Acts chapter 16 that was probably some of my very first sermons that I ever preached because it preaches good just start worshiping and watch the prison walls open let me help you out. This was not a patty cake prayer. This was not some little, I'm going to, oh God help me prayer. But it was a Holy Ghost intercession prayer. 
and when you begin to pray what that Holy Ghost allows you to intercede something happens because Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says likewise the spirit helpeth our infirmities and we don't even know what we should pray for or even how we should pray for it but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered and he that searcheth the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God and we know all things work together for the good of them that love God to those who were called by his purpose something happens when you let the Holy Ghost step in moreover whom did he predestinate or, or moreover did he foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestinate he called and whom he called he justified and whom he justified he glorified so what can we say to these things if God be for us who can be against us Come on, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he with him, or how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. How about can anyone condemn you? There's only one. It's Christ that died and is risen again. He makes intercession for us. And that's where it goes to this place. Remember, don't take a verse out of context. If you want to get to verse 35, you better read everything in in front of it he makes intercession for us so then who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation not on your life shall distress oh no shall persecution persecution famine or nakedness or peril or sword none of those can do it I am writing these things that we are more than conqueror for all the sake we're killed all the day long we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter and in all of these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord why? Because the Spirit began to pray for us. You could read Hebrews chapter 7. Look at the high priest that Jesus became for you and I. You begin to see he makes intercession for us. I'm reminded of a story. I heard it at men's conference and I had written part of it down in my notes and I didn't have a completed and so I began to ask a few people to help me out and finally got connected to one that, that, that's a pastor of the son-in-law of this missionary. So I asked them to tell me the story again. In Cameroon, Africa, Cameroon, Africa, we have a missionary, we had a missionary, Brother Riddick, there was an open-air crusade that was taking place in the capital city there in Cameroon, Africa. Tent was open. You could see all around. It was kind of in a valley there. In that African nation of Cameroon, witch doctors are prevalent. And there is a head witch doctor. They call him the Basenjama. He would dress with a large ceremonial headdress. It would be high on his head and whatever it was would come down his back, sometimes even drag the ground behind him. And the, 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 the story and the, the, the superstition would be that if you touched or if he touched you, you died. 
I talked to them and they said it sounds funny but, but it really happened however that witchcraft was strong however the devil decided to use it had come to pass witch doctor touched you you died and sometimes he was known to run down a person and throw the end of that headdress on them and they would die his witchcraft was strong his holy ghost crusade was going on where brother Riddick was the boss and job went to the hilltop that was there and began to scream and holler and cry he began to curse he began to threaten all and they could hear him it began to cause a lot of fear inside that tent he was saying things like I'm going to come down and I'm going to touch every one of you and you're all going to die And this will preach all by itself and I preach it I just now can add this to my sermon but brother Riddick told him he said listen he said just stay in the tent we'll be okay he said if you walk out of this tent I can't be responsible for you but if you stay in this tent we'll be okay they began to tell me that that bassin job began to run down that hill that headdress flying behind him and he had some momentum going and he got to that tent that open air tent and they said when he got to where that tent was that he could have ran in it was like he hit a force field and he bounced off that and sat down and shook his head and he got back up and he walked to the top of the hill he cursed him again and then he took off running again and he ran as fast as he could he got to that tent he got to the side that force hit him it knocked him back they said he did it about four or five times and the same result can I tell you when I heard that story the only thing in my mind I could hear the Lord saying sometimes you gotta just look at the devil and say my God's bigger than your God my God's bigger than your shaking my God's bigger than your agitation my God's bigger than your problem my God's bigger than all that you throw at me but just stand with me tonight Psalms 105 begins to tell an incredible story of Israel's past it's one of those that you need to go home and read it. Some of you need to highlight a few things. Psalms 105, it says, He swore a promise to Abraham. Verse 12, when they were few in number and little account and sojourners, wandered from kingdom to nation, and the Lord allowed no one to oppress them. But then he summoned a famine on the land, verse 16, and broke all the supply of bread but he had sent a man ahead of them. Joseph sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him and the, Lord, the king sent, released him. The rulers of the people set him free and he made him lord over his house, the ruler of his possessions, to bind the princes at his pleasure and teach the elders his wisdom. And the story of, of, of Joseph just tells you that even in your trials, sometimes God has a plan. But it said that the Lord made his people very fruitful, made them stronger than the Egyptians. And then it goes on to say, turn their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. That goes back to, uh, I believe it's Exodus, and it said, and there arose, arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph and all the things that, that Joseph had done. And so he sent Moses a servant and Aaron whom he had chosen and they performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham and sent darkness, turned the waters to blood, caused their fish to die, their 
land to swarm with frogs, and then swarms of flies and gnats and hail for rain and lightning bolts throughout their land. He struck down their vines and their fig trees. He spoke and the locusts came, devoured everything. He struck down the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of their strength. And this is where God began to speak to me tonight. And then God brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. And Egypt was glad when they departed. I believe sooner rather than later, the enemy's going to be glad to let you go. He's had you for 430 years, according to the time of of, of Israel being in captivity. It was a long time that the enemy had the children of God. But by the time it was all over, it was the children of Israel walking out with their head raised high. And it was Egypt saying that was the stupidest thing we have ever done in our life was mess with one of God's children. And I believe today, and I'm telling you here today in the prophetic word of His of God and, and what He has said, that He's here today to tell you, I know you're being shaken and I know things are going horrible. I know you don't know what way is up or down. But if you will keep your hand in the hand of God and if you will keep your faith in God, if you will keep your eyes fixed on Him, there will be a day when the enemy finally throws in the towel and says, I was dumb to mess with it. Just go. Just in fact, let me give you some stuff to get you out of here sooner. And I'm there today to tell you the day is coming when the enemy will be glad to let you go because he thought when by shaking you he could kill you, but shaking you only made you stronger because you've been in the hand of God, and those that are in the hands of God cannot be removed. I can't tell you the shaking won't happen. Even the one who built his house on the firm foundation, the solid rock, the Bible says the water came, the flood came, it beat against the, the house. And so there's going to be a beating against the house. There's going to be a shaking. There's going to be a pushback. There's going to be all these that come. But you can stand secure and know there's going to be a day when the devil throws it up and says, I can't do it anymore. Just, just go. Just go. Just go. Father, right now, I'm speaking to a congregation that has endured some hardship. Lord, they have heard. They, they didn't realize what was going on. They didn't know what was happening in the heavenlies. All they know is Satan was shaking them and sifting them like wheat. But Lord, they needed to hear tonight that you're praying for them that you're interceding for them, that this shaking did not pass you by. It did not take you by surprise, Lord. You didn't wake up and go, oh, how in the world did the devil do that? Lord, you knew everything that was coming. And while the devil throws everything it can at these in this congregation, you are standing there saying, but I am interceding for you, and I am with you, and I won't forsake you, and I won't leave you. And Lord, I'm asking right now as I put this microphone down that you would be to speak to those in whom this sermon is reaching into the heart of them. Would you begin to move on their lives and would you let them have that faith that you are interceding on their behalf and there will be a moment, there will be a day when the enemy releases its grip and says, I'm sorry, I even messed with your child, God. I messed up, I've given it back. Go, take, would you let freedom come in the name of Jesus?